I am Maureen of Chicago. I'm Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And we and are we Burdened, are burdened with, with Glorious, glorious podcast. podcast. Welcome back to the show where we talk about our favorite trickster god, Loki, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. So, even though Valentine's Day has come and gone, it is still February, so we are going to dedicate this episode all about the many lovers of Loki, past and present. So once again, it's it's been a little bit, but I have to say that this is probably our first relatively structured episode in a while that has not been about something else entirely. Yes, um, we're going to really keep to a theme this episode and stick with it. Because <laughs> earlier today, you know, I've, I've been getting really back into like my adolescent interest in the Wars of the Roses and Maureen was kind of teasing me about that earlier today, to which I said, you know, I don't think you're allowed to to tease me about this with how deeply you've been getting into arcane and telling me about that lately. So, <laughs> so Loki has had many forms throughout the millennia between the myths of old, uh, the comics of Stanley and now the uh, movies of Marvel today. But one thing that has been probably the most consistent out of his characterization, other than being the God of lies and mischief is having a very, very long line of ex-lovers. <laughs> Going back to uh, the earliest version of the Norse myths, Loki was always known for uh, having a distinct charm about him, but uh, never settled down until the very end, at least. So what's interesting is... I've read a lot of uh, books and websites about the character of Loki's wife, Segan, and there really is not much known about her besides she's the wife of Loki, and that pretty much defines her entire identity. Yeah, I I don't even know. I, I forget. Like, do we think that there was some known stuff about her that has been lost over time, or... Is it just, do we suppose that she was just kind of always his consort? That's a good question. Uh, the only other details I've picked up on her was like just a few sentences or two about how she was a goddess associated with the harvest and fertility. But uh, after Loki was punished for the death of Baldir, uh, he was tied to a rock until the events of Ragnarok, and she was really his only companion, uh, catching the acid that would have dripped onto his face otherwise. So she's really had, uh, she really became like having, so she really had the reputation of uh, the goddess of fidelity for her role uh, with her husband protecting him from harm. Well, and for that matter, that's also kind of reflected because if I remember correctly, chronologically, this has come after he's already had his affair with Angerboda, who is a giantess. Yes. And she's the she's the mother of his particularly weird kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Loki and Segan did have, like, relatively normal human children. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because uh, one of them ends up uh, really gruesomely slaughtered as part of the whole being bound to a rock 
punishment. Is it's his? It's one of his son's entrails. Yes, that's that are right. used to tie him down. I knew it yeah. was one of his son's entrails. I didn't know it was like his non-monstrous children. Oh no, because they were already all bound up. You know, you've got you've got Hell, who, just for context, that's neither of their sister. That's his daughter. <laughs> in in the myths, I know that you know that, but I mean, for anybody listening. Um, she's already kind of just out of the way because she's in, you know, she's ruling the dead. And, um, other than that, I'm pretty sure that it was just, uh, Jormungandr, who's a sea serpent, basically. And, uh, uh, Fenrir, the giant wolf, who, again, that's actually one of his kids in the midst. <laughs> that's, that's how off the rails Ragnarok got, God bless it. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, so it was, so that was probably one of the harsher parts of that, is that it was one of his non-terrifying freak children who was killed to be used as his, uh, as his, uh, binding. And that just makes it all the more monstrous, ironically enough. Happy Valentine's Day, folks. Well, look. Look, the whole point of Valentine's Day is we celebrate our love by giving people things shaped like hearts. Unless we forget the original St. Valentine was beaten to death with clubs and had his head cut off. So <laughs> Cut, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of the the ending bit of Bride of Reanimator when she realizes that he's he's never going to want her and she responds by literally ripping out her own heart and handing it to him before she collapses. <laughs> such good imagery i know i know it's 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 been a while since i've seen that one but if i remember correctly it's basically like they try to build dan a girlfriend you know and he's still working with herbert west and i think it even uses meg's heart but he ends up finding like an actual new human girlfriend and the woman that they created out of a bunch of parts feels incredibly rejected by this to the point where that's what she does in the very end is she rips out her own heart and tries to give it to Dan before she collapses. I am getting such Kenneth Branagh or Frankenstein flashbacks from that imagery. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not to go onto too much of a tangent here, but I guess while we're thinking about just like incredibly aggressive and unpleasant <laughs> details in love stories, I do think that with absolutely no shame on the original book intended, it certainly does really close a story gap for him to try to reanimate Elizabeth only for her to kill herself again immediately. Oh no, that definitely <laughs> had like a really good uh, sense of closure and like agency to her on that part. Yeah, yeah, and for it and for it to really be the thing that finally just like sticks him how hard with how badly he's fucked up on this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. For the idea of, well, and for that matter, the way that, you know, it underlines how shallow his guilt about what happened to Justine actually is considering that because Elizabeth's actual physical body was so damaged, most of her body at that point is actually Justine's. He's just attached Elizabeth's very badly burned head. And I think her hands to it just so that they can still be her hands. And understandably, she's not about that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Moving to the, uh, comics 
Uh, I'm not sure if this was Loki's first ever love interest, but certainly uh, his most well-known love interest uh, would have to be Amora the Enchantress. And at least that's a very obvious pairing because they're both magic users, they both were green, and what's interesting is that with Amora's angle, she really wants to romantically pursue Thor, but of course he always rejects her in favor of Jane, and so she says, okay, might as well get the next best friend as a brother, I guess. Although, I do know that like early on, even though they kept hinting at that, they never really got all the way to love interests. It was more that he would indicate that they would be a good couple, and she's like, yeah, except for the fact that we could never trust each other. So... <laughs> <laughs> Although he did end up in a very, very toxic relationship with her sister Lorelai. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Who was probably the first one that he was actually shown being in a relationship with, as opposed to just having those vibes. Um... But it, it went very south very quickly. And this was, you know, I've, I've referenced in the past, you know, we were still in the horrible cis man Loki era. He was pretty shitty to Lorelai. Mm. Like, after, after the initial encounter between them, next thing you know, it was, it was pretty much, you know, she was waiting on him to the point where um, by the time he got into, by the time later in the comics, several reincarnations later... Um, a lot of people liked to point out the um, the contrast between the fact that he was happily making Verity Willis her um, he was making dinner for her pretty often versus basically making Lorelai wait on him. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because then I can get into uh, my personal favorite uh, Loki comic ship, Verity Willis from Agent of Asgard, because. <laughs> More than any other uh, potential love interest, she really it really does feel like the most fleshed out dynamic he's gotten in recent memory of just his partner who's really perfectly matched for him because Verity is like a living lie detector. Like she literally does not have any tolerance for anything that's not the truth. And so Loki feels compelled to be honest to her and he really feels uh, a reason to do better and be better for her sake. And it's just really heartwarming and frustrating and just delightful to see these two characters seem like almost like a joke pairing. But then as they get to know each other better and defend one another, it really turns into this like unexpectedly beautiful friendship. Well, and this was also shortly after the highly ambiguous relationship he had with Leah. Yes, that's true. Who initially, initially you're not really told quite what Leah's situation is. And he does refer to her as BFF several times, but they definitely kind of gave it some will they or won't they vibes until it turned out. I mean, is, is it the spoiler if it's a, like, eight-year-old comic at this nope. point? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, at the end, after a whole lot of other details that I won't don't necessarily need to go into, ultimately, it turned out that because of some time loop stuff, Leah is actually a very young Hela. 
And they kind of use that in that case to smooth over the ambiguity about whether or not she's Loki's daughter in the sense that he did write Leah into existence. But on the other hand, they're not like actually related. <laughs> so it wasn't weird to have that relationship between them, or at least the idea of it. Um, and for, and honestly, early on in the show, I kind of thought that that was what the case was going to be with Sylvie, but you know, sometimes it's fun to be wrong. <laughs> That it is. So looking further into the Verity and Loki ship, it's just, it's so frustrating because they only have like one interaction after the Agent of Asgard story arc uh, in uh, the independent Loki series. And while that was a really sweet reunion, it still ultimately ends in the same way that Agent of Asgard ends with them like going on like a brand new adventure to parts unknown. And then we never see the parts unknown. And it's like, okay, but the, you can do so much with this. Like, they could go anywhere. They could do anything at this point. And it's always, like, it just seems like the writers aren't really that interested in, like, continuing uh, that relationship, even though I really think they should. I mean, that's kind of the way of it in comics, though. You know, know. You, you have characters that just get brought... I mean, I feel like, wasn't there this entire... I feel like it, at the very least there was this point about 10 years ago where they just kind of randomly decided that since uh, since they'd undone like cosmic retcon, undone Peter Parker and Mary Jane Watson's marriage, that they were going to introduce a brand new girlfriend character for him that was neither Mary Jane nor Gwen. And it's kind of like, okay. <laughs> I what, mean... You, what it, are you trying to do here? It's like... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, I mean, especially in that case where, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like how, from what I understand, nobody was particularly interested when they tried to give Archie a third potential girlfriend who was neither Betty nor Veronica. I was literally just thinking of Cheryl Blossom. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say to the point where I've never seen Riverdale, although it is technically relevant to point this out on there, because believe it or not, Robert Oguri Sakasa, who is the executive producer of Riverdale, was also the one who wrote Thor and Loki Blood Brothers. Believe it or not, that mm -hmm. is your fact for the night. <laughs> he also he also did the libretto for the American Psycho musical on Broadway, which I think <laughs> explains a lot. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, you know it... what else explains a lot? The fact that I saw that twice. <laughs> uh, well, you're one of the very few people I know who is more familiar with American Psycho the musical than with Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes. <laughs> so I think while we're at it, there's another unsung Loki love interest from a piece of media that doesn't actually get talked about a lot, but he has the distinction of being Loki's so far only completely confirmed male love interest ever. And that is Theo from the book by Mackenzie Lee. Ah, uh, yes. Which I don't know if Maureen has read yet. Not yet, but I want to. Yeah, well, the point is, is that a lot of this is the, a lot of the book is the adventures of, I would say, like, socially speaking, he's probably an approximately, like, young college age Loki, at least. I mean, for whatever that means by, you know, Asgardian standards. And he gets sent to deal with something in Victorian England as 
basically a milder version of what later happens to his brother. He's not banished, but he has to go clean up a mess. And he ends up in Victorian England. And this is after he's already been established to have been in love with Amora for a long time. As things start getting kind of weird between him and Amora, and he starts to realize that she might be a lot worse than he thought she was, he also starts falling for a human boy named Theo. And they actually do share a kiss. They actually, like, I, I want to emphasize, this is in fact a canon relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um... I don't know if I necessarily want to spoil what happens because I have a feeling that that'll probably be something that we desperately turn to as a way of making another episode at some point. <laughs> so <laughs> we can we can have the spoiler full discussion of what happens in that book later on. But I just I just want to point it out, Theo. We salute you. <laughs> you are the only fully canon boyfriend he's ever had. Respect. <laughs> <laughs> Respect. Uh, so now we come to the meat and potatoes of this episode, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe Loki ships. And for that, I have done my homework. Uh, I have went on archive of our own and I've searched <laughs> far and wide and have come up with a ranking of the top five most popular Loki ships, as well as, uh, if there are any recurring patterns to be found of what people see in them and why they think these two should kiss. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I like how methodical you've been about this. <laughs> That's I, how I, I do a lot of my fan doing stuff. historical research and you're out here doing fanfic research. And you know what? What you are doing is, is honestly more valuable right now. So <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, at number five, we have... Loki and Sif, a.k.a. Sifki. <laughs> Which I guess is now semi-confirmed, yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, it's good in enough a, for me. In, in, like a, in like a really, you know, masochism tango sort of way. Yeah, but I def they definitely have something interesting that I like. It's very, it's very, uh... Well, they could go, like, enemies to lovers, back to enemies to lovers again, and it can never really end. I think that's the appeal, at least for me. <laughs> I mean, and I guess if you're going to use TV tropes terminology, you could also say that there's a certain degree of pair of the spares there. Because it's, I have to say, it's kind of interesting the way that, despite the fact that she is you know, probably Thor's other longest-term love interest in the comics, the MCU never seems to have even so much as pretended that they were going to end up together. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is that uh, apparently, at least in the early stages of the MCU, they always wanted things to be open to possibility. They always, they never really wanted to, like, shut it, the possibility out entirely, but they always wanted, like... Sif will always be there as long as uh, Thor's always there, just in case uh, the writers decide that they should be together. Yeah. But Even so, I, I have to admit, I, I, I do kind of love the extent to which that first movie just decides to throw in as much of Thor's supporting cast as possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that movie really gave the side characters plenty of moments to shine. And speaking of side characters, we are now at uh, 
even though this is number four, this is the number one most popular hetero Loki ship, uh, which for the longest time was my favorite Loki ship, Loki and Darcy, a.k.a. Taser Tricks. <laughs> I think you're the one who's going to have the most to say about yeah, this. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so as I was looking through the Taser Tricks tag, an archive of our own, I found a lot of uh, patterns, namely uh, multiple pairings. Like we are talking like a paragraph's worth of both characters and ships. And what's interesting is that uh, even for things that are tagged Loki and Darcy, there's still like tags of like Darcy and like every other male and female character in the same story. Yeah. <laughs> There's also been a lot of crossovers, uh, uh, a lot of enemies to lovers, a lot of like uh, Beauty and the Beast dynamic, uh, really emphasizing <laughs> uh, the healing power of love, while also Darcy works as sort of like his armchair psychiatrist. But what was the most troubling to me was several times I would read the synopsis of the plot, and it seems like cute and innocent enough, and then the tags have like... Warning, sexual assault, heavily triggered. Oh my, God. well, I mean, welcome to, welcome to Archive of Our Own. I mean, I, I at this point, I kind of have to just gently be like, how much fan fiction do you tend to read? Uh, I try to, I don't want to say I limit myself, but I do try to like, I know what I like. I know what I like to read. I know what I like to invest my time in. And... I'm really, like, more focused on to plot than porn, but, um... Well, fair enough, yeah. I mean, I I don't tend to actually read a lot of porn either, but I'm just kind of sitting here just like, I mean, that's that's AO3 for you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Was kind of all I, meant. <laughs> I mean, if you could summarize AO3 in a single image, it would have to be the Arrested Development, do not open a dead dove. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Ah... <laughs> uh... I will say um, I have been a Darcy and Loki shipper since the first Thor movie, and uh, they they were the subject of like the first fanfic that I've actually published online. Uh, I haven't updated it to AO3 yet, but it's still on fanfiction.net, unworthy. Um, and what's weird is I've noticed like not a lot of fans have shipped them specifically the way I ship them. So pretty much the only, like, uh, similarity between how I ship them and how other fans seem to ship them is, yeah, there is a bit of a touch of, like, uh, a therapeutic relationship, a touch of, like, Beauty and the Beast dynamic. Uh, but uh, for me, I really wanted to emphasize that they're each getting something out of knowing each other. For uh, Loki, it's... Uh, being attracted to Darcy's innocence and how she's the most normal, well-adjusted person in New Mexico for him. <laughs> and whereas Jane, of course, she's hostile towards him because he's the reason why she can't see Thor anymore. But with Darcy, she's very curious. And also the fact alone, when I was writing her, when I was writing her, uh, I mean, it's canon, she's a political science major. So of course she'd be fascinated by someone who could show her all about like the corrupting nature of power. And uh, in a still unfinished work in progress fic that's like sort of like a sequel to Unworthy, 
Uh, we really explore uh, how Darcy feels powerless and doesn't want to anymore. And so, whereas the first story, Darcy, whereas the first story, Loki is attracted to the light of Darcy. Darcy is attracted to the darkness of Loki. And how she uh, becomes a bit more in touch with her selfish side. Incidentally, I don't know if this is going to be audible on the episode, but if you can hear music in the background, that is actually my roommate playing the guitar. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a that's a nice little bonus for our listeners, I guess. Ah, <laughs> uh, so. At number three, uh, the only thing surprising about this is just how much traction it's gained over only existing for a year. Uh, Loki and Mobius, a.k.a. Lokius. <laughs> yeah, that's a... There, there's, there's a lot of traction for that. Yeah. Now that you're I think, that. like, it gained, like, over a thousand stories in like just like seven eight months yeah yeah which you know i have to say that even and and this is not a complaint about the ship itself in general this is only about some of the people who ship it that i will say that despite the fact that there has been um an unfortunate association between Lokius shippers and people who cannot let the existence of the silky ship lie. Mm -hmm. I do have to say it is, it is really cute to me that it's one of the, it's one of those ships that has at least convinced a number of teenagers that it is in fact, okay. If one, if at least one member of your ship is just some guy. (laughs) No and superpowers. I don't even mean that badly. I no. don't even mean that badly. It's it's just like you know, it's it's like the number of like young people in fandom that I've seen who are just obsessed with the relationship between Tia Peppa and uh, Tio Felix in Encanto, who are just like, where it's just like, you know what? All else aside, I'm so glad that they're aware that like middle aged people are actually allowed to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> Well, apparently, uh, the canon is the reason why Abuela Alma uh, was so endorsing of their marriage was because Felix is the one person that can uh, guarantee to, like, reel in Peppa's emotions and make her happy no matter what. Which is really cute. I I love the idea of Felix being just such a great guy that, you know... You know, Alma, you know, being kind of necessarily dour, the idea that he shows up and she's immediately just like, this guy's great. Like, <laughs> like, like good for Felix, honestly. Ah, uh, so the number two most popular Loki ship I find the most perplexing just because they only had one scene together and it just seems like they... They don't have enough in common, but also they have too much in common to really be compatible. Uh, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Frost. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't think of this ship without thinking of how much my friend Anne, at the very least, I, I don't think she really cares about it anymore. Like, I think it's just something that doesn't really enter into her life anymore. But I remember largely 
how much she liked it and how vaguely disappointed she was in herself for liking it. And um, I mostly think of um, the time that there was a, a meme going around on Tumblr that was like, all right, you know, describe your OTP in a way that makes it sound terrible. And her only response was, it's Tony, it's Tony Stark and Loki fucking. <laughs> I admire there was her another, honesty. There was another time that she, that she was like, ah, yes, the OTP is truly the Maroon 5 of ships. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so... There's a lot of uh, tropes associated with alternate universes, time travel, fix-it-fix, and it seems to be the focus on two equally willful people clashing, but I just, if you, if you ship the ship, I'm not going to blame you, by all means, love whoever you love, it's just, it's so (laughs) puzzling to me how their relationship would work. You know, the funny thing is, is that of all ships, other than the occasional, like, I will say that at least as far as, um, as like, completely fandom-based slash ships go, that was actually the only one that the Avengers Academy mobile game ever even nodded toward, which I thought was hilarious at the time. (laughs) There, I know that there was at least one point at which, uh, at which Tony referred to Loki as being like, you sound like one of my dates, but with prettier hair or something like that. Ah, <laughs> uh, so that one also completely, completely whole cloth for the sake of the game. There were a lot of people who were shipping that version of uh, Janet Van Dyne with that version of Loki. And I have to admit in that game, they were very cute. Interesting. They didn't actually have a relationship in that sense. It was more that he seemed to grudgingly be very fond of her no matter what he said. And she basically just decided that she was just going to, you know, it's like she just woke up and, you know, like that Spongebob episode, I haven't brightened Loki's day yet. (laughs) And basically would just, you know, come on, you're having fun. I know you're having fun. That kind of thing. (laughs) (sighs) Ah, Number one, by far, by a long shot, with 14,034 stories on Archive of Our Own, Loki and Thor, a.k.a. Thorky, a.k.a. Thunderfrost. A.k.a. Why in the hell has so much of the internet just now decided to get mad about him being paired with a woman who is technically his alternate universe counterpart, when, to be completely honest, a good amount of the internet was already shipping him with his literal brother. Mm -hmm. You know, as I was digging deeper into Tony and Loki, it it finally hit me the number one reason why, I guess, girls would write about them would be they really wanted Loki to have... Uh, a male lover, but they didn't want to cross the incest line. That's the best I got. Yeah, I, I've got to be honest. I just, I, I lean so hard into the sibling dynamic there that it is something that I just, I cannot get into even in the slightest. I mean, it was actually to the point where other than the, other than it's still technically being implied just by casting Thor as Eddie, when the, 
When I did a, um, I directed a, a Marvel theme night at my Rocky Horror cast several years ago. And I, despite what you would think, I could not bring myself to cast <laughs> Thor as Rocky opposite Loki as Frank. Um, to the point where we actually ended up ha- turning it into a, a Hulk Rocky joke because, you know, tiny shorts. I just, I, I don't, Golden God or whatever, I just, there were certain things that I just could not bring myself to do, which I don't mean as a moral judgment of anybody because, you know, at the end of the day, these are fictional characters and I'm really not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to like assign any moral value to whether or not somebody likes to read completely fictional stuff that probably in a lot of ways just comes down to wanting to see two pretty comic book movie guys make out like, I mean, I don't ship them either, but seeing as much uh, Thorky content as I have throughout the golden age of Tumblr, I have I am reluctant to say that there's actually really good fan artists out there. Like they really yeah, get I the mean, details right, and also, yeah. also, I think like them being brothers is like yes, it's a huge monkey wrench into the system, but in terms of purely dynamic of what they have i mean it's like the most common thing in the world for fangirls to have yaoi ships that is this like strong uh jock blonde man who's an extrovert and this introverted quiet brunette sensitive man like we see it (laughs) all the time for like really popular fandoms one thing I will absolutely give the Thorkies is that a lot of them, the, the artwork that they do for this is often really ambiguous. Like, not that they don't have, uh, not that not that there isn't very explicit art that I've stumbled across it, but, you know, every once in a while you'll find something where it's like, you look at it and it's like, this really works for no matter how you want to interpret this relationship. <laughs> Which is really helpful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, again, as, as somebody who is just not into it, I, I don't I I have a weird... I, I, there's a lot of things that really mess with my tolerance of, of, like, an incest ship, at least in terms of, like, how much I can stand thinking about it. We'll put it that way. Um, which sounds really judgmental, but I mean, you know, it, it's a, now's a good time to bring back the concept of the squick. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I definitely, I definitely do not have like a trigger where this is concerned, but thinking about it too much with the two of them is just like, Bleh, you know? Yeah. But, um, but I, I kind of ended up settling on realizing I don't have a problem. This is going to sound like I'm being so judgy here, but I mean, it's more just that it's easier for me to process. I don't have as much of a problem with it when it shows up in a piece of media. If at least part of the point is look how fucked up this is. Oh yeah. And also, and also because that doesn't normally develop over the course of a plot line. Like even though, you know, when it finally got to the inevitable incest, uh, on the Borgias, I had trouble taking it going textual because that was not always the case. And they kind of made it. So you Lucrezia was consenting, but you could tell that she was not nearly into it to the same extent that her weird obsessive brother was that kind of thing, 
Whereas, like, the reveal of it in Crimson Peak is just kind of like, yeah, that seems about right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it comes or, to, when it comes to, like, squick content in media, I can take almost any subject matter you can throw at me. You just have to answer the question, how is this framed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, speaking of Rocky Horror, you know, my, you know, the character that I do the most when I'm, when I perform in that show is Magenta, who, you know, the entire time is in a relationship with her brother. Like, <laughs> to the point where that's, where that's thrown out there almost, like, after the whole time when you've seen these two all over each other, it's like, on top of everything, then Frank just casually mentions, you know, you and your brother Riff Raff, and it's like, this is while he's, like, stroking her thigh, and she's, like, gazing at him and all that. <laughs> but in that case, it's like, it's Rocky Horror, they're fucked up, and, like, and I know that I just said that I didn't want to put Thorky in Rocky Horror, but in that case, that was straight up because that was my show. <laughs> That was my show, and I don't have to include something I don't want to include in it. So, the most popular tropes associated with Thorky uh, fanfiction is arranged marriage, posing as a couple only to become the real thing later on, Empreg, <laughs> or we have to sleep in the same bed, otherwise we'll die. <laughs> the, uh... They're still falling back on Pond Farm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, and also, from what I've seen, and it's it's especially funny considering how much, if anything, they seem to have very pointedly removed this dynamic when they finally gave us the canon version of this. I know that a lot of the arranged marriage ones come specifically in an alternate universe where Loki was raised as a Jotun. Ah, yes. And it's, and it really is like a political marriage thing. And that's why I don't know if it was intentionally in response to that or something, but I did remember thinking it was really funny that when we finally got alternate universe Jotun Loki, it was like, if anything, they were that much more like completely platonically frat bro <laughs> And like wanting to go check out girls together, like I don't know if that was a homophobic response <laughs> Marvel or what. But on the other hand, on the other hand, that was like that at least implied that Thor and Jane fucked. So you yep. know. <laughs> so well, and for that matter, let's let's talk about how in the first, how in the very first Thor comic where Loki appears, Jane thinks he's hot, which is something that has never made it into the MCU in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, you'd think they would work with that. <laughs> you'd think that there would at least have have a moment of her just being like, wow, I have completely lost my interest. But the thing, the thing that boggles my mind is, having seen all of his entries, like, I don't think there's even been one time where anyone has remarked that Loki is handsome. Like, not once. <laughs> what, isn't there at least one time in the new, in the series, where where uh, Mobius at least somewhat disparagingly calls him pretty? Isn't there one of those? There might be. <laughs> but it could be like, yeah, it could just be sarcastic. Well, I, I, I think it, if I remember correctly, because I, I swear I can imagine it in there. I feel like it might have come up, like, it wasn't specifically this phrase, but the general sentiment was, you know, when you tell somebody, oh, thank God you're pretty, or something like that, where it's basically just like, you just did something really dumb, thank God you're pretty. <laughs> At least you have that going for you, or something like that. Uh, 
But yeah, like, if you'll remember in Thor Ragnarok how when uh, the girls uh, had to get a selfie with Thor, like, they didn't even acknowledge Loki's existence. So that really tells you a lot about how, like, the MCU creators uh, see Loki. <laughs> I mean, though on the other hand, they gave him a much steadier relationship already. True. So, <laughs> so clear. <laughs> Oh, although for that matter, it's also, I, I also, I, we talked about this a while ago, but come to think of it, you can make a decent argument that weirdly enough, the series is also the first time that they've ever like, whether they say so or not, it's definitely the first time that they've actually clearly shot him with the understanding that you're supposed to read him as attractive. True. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very true. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of framing toward that there. I've noticed that is lacking mm -hmm. before that. <laughs> so Thorki is not only the most popular Loki ship by a long shot, it is actually the fourth most popular MCU romance ship. Can you guess what number one is? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go so far as to say it's Bucky Cap. Yes. Stucky, <laughs> not even a contest. 58,127 stories. That was, that was what I thought. I mean, I, I, I know people who are completely divorced from the MCU at this point that are just like, yeah, how about that Stucky though? <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, and I do love, even though I don't necessarily ship them, I do love how it can easily help i do love how the fangirls have interpreted falcon and the winter soldier as two men clearly not over losing the same ex <laughs> yeah it's just that that one really seems to have been like one of the formative ships for a lot of people oh yeah so, expect well, yeah, I think especially what helped was just in terms of like Tumblr uh, fan edits for gifts. Uh, the first Avenger came out shortly after Sebastian Stan had uh, played a gay character a few times. Oh, so it was very easy to like cut and paste, and you let the imagination do the rest. <laughs> So did you happen to stumble on any trends in crossover shipping or anything while this was going on, just out of curiosity? Uh, so far, of all the crossover ships I've seen, uh, the most popular was either Harry Potter or Star Wars. Huh. I mean, I... I've definitely come up with some crossover ships that I don't even know if I should necessarily go into here. Because, you know, I, I don't I don't really live at that address anymore. But, um, um, I do remember at one point on Tumblr making a lot of uh, throwaway jokes about, about, you know, you know who would probably be really compatible? Who? Loki and uh, Sarah from Tonster Vampira. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say this, my favorite MCU ship name, and I love it just because it's a name, not because I ship these characters, and I honestly believe the only reason this is even a ship is just because of the name. <laughs> <laughs> but it's... 
It is uh, Steve, Tony, and Bruce. Oh, God. Can you guess the name? Oh, God. Um, I... Uh, you know what? You have me at a loss. What is it? Stark Spangled Banner. <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Okay. I mean, while we're while we're talking about this, I have my my pie in the sky ship that I doubt they will ever do, but I do think it's it's it would just be really funny to do as at least a side element. Thor is, Nebula? Uh, yes, yes, Thor and Nebula. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I, I always just picture something like, you know, him handing somebody else his phone and just being like, I want you to send her the picture of the kitten that thinks of naught but murder all day and then tell her that that is her. She is the kitten. <laughs> Oh, uh, now I want to see Nebula make Thor a mixtape. <laughs> Apparently, you know, and him him mentioning that, you know, he now knows a great source for getting replacement eyes. So if she ever needs a new one, she doesn't need to do the repairs on, on herself. She can just ask him. And I'm just, I, I keep imagining this as some kind of like talking head interview like, or, or at the very least, you know, kind of like what we do in the shadow style and, you know, and her just, and that's the most romantic thing anyone's ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now it's my turn to compliment you on your voice acting. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now I just really want to see Rocket try and steal Thor's eye. <laughs> You know, I'm just immediate. I'm just immediately thinking. Do Do you remember the um, the you know, good luck. I'm hiding behind seven proxies meme, and I'm just you know, good luck. It's really realistic, and he's huge. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now we have come to the one canon uh mcu loki ship and that is of course loki and sylvie aka silky aka love is a dagger hey <laughs> so <laughs> this one is also like mobius it hasn't been around for that much but it has also gained quite a bit of traction at over a thousand and seventy five stories so far <laughs> and already I found, like, the most common tropes is, appropriately enough, alternate universe. Um, also, uh, quite a few arranged marriage AUs where they come from different kingdoms. Uh, and uh, by far the most prevalent is Dom and Sub. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I, I'm just going to assume... And she's usually the Dom, right? Correct. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. Good for Sylvie. Good for her. <laughs> Good for <laughs> You know, it's it's really funny to me. Like, on the one hand, I do understand why um why that ship has so much appeal to people who um 
in Star Wars fandom are really into Raylo, which is the the pairing of Rey and Kylo Ren. And I think I've even mentioned a couple of times that if anything, I feel like Silky is kind of Raylo wish fulfillment. It is clearly dynamic wise, pretty much exactly what I think a lot of people wanted Raylo to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but on the other hand, as far as I've been able to see, there's not a whole lot of an audience for Ray being the Dom in that relationship if that's the kind of dynamic they're being written with. So once again, good for Sylvie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think even though I've said this before, but even though I ship Silky, I have never really been a Raylo fangirl at all. But I think the reason why there's been so much uh, fandom overlap is because the fangirls who do ship them really emphasize the fact that uh, Rey and Kylo are supposed to be like this dryad concept or like the force equivalent of soulmates. And of course, with Loki and Sylvie, it's also even more pronounced of they are like literally two halves of the same soul. So it's that whole appeal of like meant to be together. They know each other the way no one else can. Yeah, I mean, I I think because for, for one thing with only it, especially with like a lot of this big franchise stuff and also just because a lot of my fandom writing for a long time was done in like the like the role playing board context, which ends up leading to very different um, approaches to a lot of this kind of stuff and, and different ways of exploring character dynamics and stuff. So unless it was something that specifically could be ported into that setting, I, I have to admit, I don't tend to get particularly adventurous with most ships. And so my, my feelings about Raylo were, I was kind of intrigued with the possibility of where it could go. And, and, and especially after, you know, after they established it so firmly and so canonically in The Last Jedi, but then, you know, he fucks it up incredibly strongly at the <laughs> end of it. And I was thinking, like, I mean, they clearly are introducing this for a reason. They're, they, they're clearly putting this in the story for a reason. This is going to go somewhere. And, you know, hey, it's it's Star Wars. It runs on archetypes. And because, you know, and I, I don't include, like, for example, Maureen in this, because Maureen has always just been like, this is really not my thing, you know, and that's fair. But some of the specific ways that people got disgusted with Raylo were just kind of at the point where I was like, guys, it's Star Wars. It, it's going to happen. Like, <laughs> we might as well get used to it. And then it happened in a way that satisfied absolutely nobody. But that's beside the point. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The way the relationship panned out in The Last Jedi was just like... Or- or you was, mean you mean Rise of Skywalker? I mean, sorry, Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. The way it panned out in Rise of Skywalker was just like the antithesis of its poetry. It rhymes. Yeah, it's it's just I don't know. I not to get too far off topic. Although I feel like this is actually still like on topic, just like in a very general sense of talking about shipping and stuff like that. If anything, I would say that that was actually kind of the moment when I like not just that moment, but like hearing about what happened in most of that movie was kind of the moment where I was really just like, maybe I actually do need to uh, finally start thinking about the fact that Star Wars is not actually myths. Star Wars is movies. (laughs) People are (laughs) writing these movies 
And you know what? Sometimes the things they come up with are not very good. Which is, you know, which is not to say that I think of it in terms of, you know, I've, I have been enjoying what I've seen of most of the Disney Plus shows. And with the exception of weird Vocaloid Luke, which should oh never have God. happened. <laughs> with, the, with the exception of that, personally, I think that just about everything else that they've been doing has been really fun. And, you know, but that's the thing. When I don't like something in Star Wars, I'm just like, meh. As opposed to just being like, as opposed to acting like, you know, part of my culture was just thrown through the meat grinder or whatever, like, like some people like to do online. See, anyway. for the most part, I'm with you on that. I'm usually just like live and let live in a galaxy far, far away. But there, like, the only times I've ever gotten into like, very clearly drunk arguments with guys at bars has always been about Star Wars. <laughs> so I have a lot of Star Wars opinions that will start bar fights. Uh, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, at this point, I'm pretty sure everybody does because that's how guys that are really into Star Wars are. I know. Like, it's just so funny to me how men say women are the sensitive ones, and yet I have never seen a woman's composure fall so quickly, so strongly, when I've told guys that Boba Fett should have stayed dead in the Starlight Pit. <laughs> See, I'm just thinking about all those guys that got really, really mad because in one of the Robert Rodriguez-directed episodes of the Boba Fett show... There's a point where one of the characters does a slightly elaborate spin as he pulls out his blaster. And everybody is just like, holy fucking shit, this has no business being in Star Wars. What the hell is wrong with this? Have we and forgotten it... that everybody loved that one stormtrooper who did that elaborate gun spin in Force Awakens? <laughs> I mean, these guys probably didn't anyway. But more importantly, they're just like, you know, Robert Rodriguez should never be allowed to touch Star Wars. And it's like... It's... Who cares if somebody looks a little bit cool while they pull out their blaster? It's this. This is not fucking Zero Dark Thirty over here. Yeah, it's, it's Star like Star Wars. The first movie it had a trash compactor monster just because. <laughs> uh, but I just are, are you guys forgetting that like you know C three PO's entire thing is that he's a robot with anxiety for some reason. <laughs> Uh, that's why I found him relatable. <laughs> uh, it's just—he's a robot that, for some reason, has anxiety, and he talks to another robot who is implied to have a lot of attitude, but he only—he only beeps. And the other one is also approximately the size of a trash can, and the one with anxiety is always very offended by him. And that's—that's that's Star Wars. Yeah, it's always that's been that, that silly, kids. That's that's Star Wars. Han, but, Han Solo was on the run from a giant slug in the first movie. Yeah. So, my three... I used to have two. Only two. And I'm really mad that I now have three Star Wars opinions that will start bar fights. <laughs> I didn't want it to be this way. But, um... <laughs> number one... Uh, the Ewoks are valid. You fanboys are just mad that there was something in Star Wars that was made to pander to your little sister and not you. I like that they look like Shih Tzus. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, number two, Hayden Christensen did nothing wrong. You guys are just mean. <laughs> and number three, those two used to be my only opinions. But number three, I can't let it die. <sighs> There's nothing that happened in the prequels that offends me as much as the existence of Rise of Skywalker. I mean, I feel like everybody agrees on that. I think the only thing from that movie that I think everybody seems to have really just embraced is the little guy who goes, hey, hey! Oh, Babu Frick! I couldn't remember his name. Okay, here's the part where I admit that I actually... I've never even seen that movie because I got so heavily spoiled that I was like, you know what? I don't even think I need to see more than bits of this. And I, so far I have yet to regret that decision. I am. It's just kind of one of the, that was, like I said, it was just a moment of being like, you know what? Star Wars is movies. And if I don't want to see a movie because it's just going to disappoint me, I don't have to go see that movie. Yeah. But I do know that everybody likes the little hey, hey guy. Oh, no. He was one of the very, very few bright spots in that movie. <laughs> but it's like, I was just so pissed off because I am team pro Last Jedi. And to see all of the seeds that Ryan Johnson so carefully planted and then for them to be yanked out by the roots, stepped on and set on fire in The Rise of Skywalker... <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you had the blueprints to a really satisfying trilogy that wasn't afraid to try things new and you're so chicken shit that you said okay we're afraid to make the fanboys mad so here's just like a poor man's version of return of the jedi here's nostalgia poison for you nostalgia poison for everyone just choking all your fucking nostalgia are you happy now huh is that what you wanted you wanted to be safe fuck you <laughs> yeah i just it really is remarkable how i don't know anybody who was satisfied with with rise of skywalker i have never met anybody who like i have met people who are just like eh, you know it is what it is but i've never met anybody who likes it <laughs> i mean the worst thing about it is it's not just an ending for the sequel trilogy it's not just an ending for like and the extension of the original trilogy it's an ending for the in entire every single star wars movie and it just makes all of the good things retroactively worse <laughs> and that is just unforgivable that you rewatch the original trilogy with the knowledge of the rise of skywalker and it just makes your viewing experience noticeably worse because you now know how these characters are going to end up and it's just like ugh. It was, what was the, um, it, it was like, it's like the comment that I remember reading people making about the equally unpopular ending of Game of Thrones, which was that it's, it's an ending so bad that it makes the journey to get there feel pointless. Exactly. I know. It's like. Although, although on the, although the interesting thing is that compared to, um, compared to the Star Wars situation. I have noticed that there is has been a little bit of bounce back on that lately that seems to be like, well, in that case, the proper way to enjoy this is to just not watch the last season. 
or to stop watching it at a certain point. Uh, yeah, but I mean, at least with Game of Thrones, they actually had contact with George R. R. Martin and they knew like how the story was supposed to end and they still fucking fumbled it like nobody's business. Well, they, I think that whether or not we ever actually see it, in that case, I think there's also the fact that at this point, even if we know who John's parents are, for example, we're going to still see things possibly play out differently if Martin ever finishes writing the book. Well, that's the thing. Um, it's like, I am waiting just as much as the next person to, like, see how there's, how the characters' endings are supposed to to have gone. I think that's I think that's a major aspect of it. Like but also it's it is fascinating to notice that there is a point where people are just like, you know what? It's time to be honest with ourselves and admit that the first few seasons of that were fun. Let's go back and watch them. We just don't watch we just won't watch the part that sucks. Which is really weird considering that, you know, compared to Star Wars, which is I cannot emphasize this enough for children. <laughs> Like, you know, like you would, you would think that the Game of Thrones situation would be so much worse, but instead you just have people being like, okay, well, you know what? How about we just go back and enjoy the parts that were good? Because there were good parts, (laughs) you know? I know, but then you have to deal with the frustration of like, oh yeah, I remember, it's like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, of like, oh yeah, I remember I stopped watching after like season three or four. Huh, I wonder why. Oh, Now I know why. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess this brings us full circle because the whole first exposure that Maureen got to the, the, the re-encroaching of Megan's house of York problem (laughs) was actually because we were vaguely discussing game of Thrones and I ended up sending her several long text messages, (laughs) basically trying to summarize the latter years of the wars of the roses to put it in the context of, like, so this is some of the stuff that Game of Thrones was riffing on. <laughs> and now Megan has uh, held my hand and pulled me down to the House of York rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because that's what we're about at Burden with Glorious Podcast. We're, we're, into, we're into dysfunctional family dynamics and, and the occasional presence of the absolute cringe fail son. <laughs> it's it, one of the things we've been talking about a lot lately is that it's just is that it's it's really really ironic and not even just in the Alanis Morissette sense it's very ironic that over the years you know when you say Richard III you know what you picture you know, and the whole seething resenter lashing out at everyone around him. And it's like, well, actually, you know what? He, he wasn't, he wasn't like that. He was, he was honestly, and you can read both the positive and negative aspects of this. He was kind of that onion article that's like, you know, well, somebody's got to save this country from certain doom. And let's face it, that person is me. <laughs> um, but you know who absolutely was just like this sulking, seething, cringe fail son? It was his brother, George, who, for most of you, you probably only know as Clarence from the Shakespeare play. And let me tell you, that's not what he was like. George of Clarence just could not fucking do anything right. 
and he was just pathologically incapable of loyalty. And I've just been thinking lately, you know what? It might be his time to shine in pop culture because you know what? People, people love a guy who sucks. (laughs) People, people love a guy who sucks and cries a lot. I mean, this is, we're on a Loki podcast. Hold on. Hold on. I have the perfect uh, quip for that. Okay. Should it, do you want me to say people love a guy who sucks? Again? No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go back to talking about uh, George. Okay. And the thing is, that was that was George. He was just he was just this pathologically disloyal guy who just could not do anything right. And seemed and had just the worst case of middle child syndrome imaginable. I mean, it's gotten to the point where we're like casting a movie or something. <laughs> oh, we it. already have our like Dreamcast discussion going on. Yeah, yeah, and you know what we ended up discovering is that you know what. Speaking of Game of Thrones, um, <laughs> as you know, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, George was put on this earth to be played by Harry Lloyd in in mm-hmm. like pure typecast Harry Lloyd mold. I'm sorry, but it's true. Yeah, and then that got me thinking of like, ooh, you know what? This should also start Henry Cavill. Yeah, because we need a big jock. Mhm. We need a big jock. And when you think of like uh buff jock Englishman, he's the only one he'll do. Yeah, because because we really we need we need a big buff jock to play Edward the Fourth. And you know it's perfectly fitting too that these two would work together because when I first saw the preview for The Witcher, I immediately thought of Henry Cavill's character as like, oh my god, that's like CrossFit Viserys. <laughs> and then what what really got me going off of this is after a long time in terror fandom. There was a point where I just, I can't believe I hadn't put it together before, but if you look at, like, any of the actual, like, not distorted um, portraits that we have of, of Richard III that reflect the fact that he, like, actually, you know, he he didn't even live to be 33. Like, I actually, I am officially older than he ever got to be because I'm going to be 33 in just a few weeks. And... Um, you know, and between that and when they did the second reconstruction of his of his face using the same forensic information, but this time knowing who it was and able to make the sculpture look a little bit more like him, I kind of had this moment of realizing, oh man, this would actually be a really good role for Adam Nagaitis, who plays uh, Mr. Hickey on The Terror. Um, and I guess if we're going to like tie this into previous topics on here, um, if, if you ever saw, like, the... The much smaller man following Adam Driver around in the last duel. <laughs> That's Adam Nagaitis. Adams come in many sizes. That's an illustration. It, they just needed to have a medium Adam in there, but I guess I, I guess maybe that would have been one Adam too many. You've got your small Adam and you've got your very big Adam. My God. <laughs> Going back to Kylo Ren. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, look, we we got the structured part of of the dis- of the discussion done. Yes. <laughs> so now it's just, we're just we're just circling in ever tighter spirals now, basically. Uh huh. And so it was just a matter of like, okay, you know, to be fair, that would actually be, if not, you know, I I wouldn't say that it's like completely out of 
you know, the Adam Nagaitis wheelhouse, especially because he has, um, you know, despite the fact that he, he does tend to play a lot of like little slime balls, to be honest, you know, that's not the only thing, you know, he, he played Scrooge's nephew in that very, very weird, uh, you know, dark and edgy Christmas Carol with Guy Pierce. Um, he was uh, the main firefighter that was focused on in the Chernobyl miniseries and was just like sweet and heartbreaking in that. So like there is range to be had there, but I just had this moment of being like, how have I not noticed this this entire time? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So next time when we do our podcast, uh, it will be back in Megan's home turf again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, visit Megan for her birthday week. Woo! Woo! It will, uh, yeah, my my birthday, which is also, which I, I guess as long as we're going through the Megan fandom history, <laughs> it'll also be the, the anniversary of the Zack Snyder Watchmen movie coming out. Yeah, everybody loves Zack Snyder according to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? I I will say I will say one thing for him. It does sound like he's very pleasant and fun to work with. Yeah, no, he's definitely that's, built up a lot of goodwill. That's that's the thing. And also, I I honestly I have to I have to give him a lot of credit for the fact that as soon as it got to the point where he actually was like starting to do you know when it actually got to the point where they were like fine we're gonna let him finish making his own version of justice league one of the first things that he did in interviews was basically disavow a bunch of the shitheads who had been (laughs) and and, you know and one of the first things that he also did about that was like you know go ahead and restore um you know the the entire uh cyborg plot for that matter which And, you know, I don't know if I have any interest in seeing the Snyder Cut. I really don't care about any of this kind of thing. But I do think that it was, I I have to admit, it's it's really funny and kind of endearing that despite that being the fan base that, like, was, like, shouting for this, one of the first things that he did was also be like, and you guys are dicks, cut it out. (laughs) (laughs) True. I mean, what I really wish is there was even half the outcry to just restore the original ending of Sucker Punch for the Snyder Cut, because that just (laughs) sounds so much better to me. (laughs) And easier, too, because they didn't have to, like, they wouldn't have to go back and reshoot anything since it was just on the cutting room floor. This, you know what, this has really turned into, like, this is almost like a, this is almost like a two-segment episode and it's the Valentine's Day episode followed by the Megan and Maureen complain about awful men in fandom episode. Well, isn't that what Valentine's Day is all about? To complain about men you're not with? It's 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 half Valentine's, half our very specific version of Galentine. <laughs> yes. Galentine's Day, the Megan and Maureen way. <laughs> Ah, so we will get back to you uh, in a month, but until then, the balcony is closed. All right. (laughs) Well, enjoy spring approaching. Um, Enjoy enjoy planning your all-green outfits for next month. 
Oh, that's right. <laughs> and and that's, I don't know, that's on theme for us, I guess. I mean, you know, I would have to say, other than Halloween, St. Patrick's Day is the most mischief I have ever seen. So. There's a reason that the word shenanigans comes from Irish Gaelic. Yes, it's just people dressed in green fucking shut up. What could be the lucky day? <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha